Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Well, hello and welcome to episode 71 of Drink the Movies. I am Brian here as always with Michaela. Michaela, we are fresh out of the Oscars. We were able to uh, take a break from watching 100 three-hour-long films, but <laughs> that doesn't matter because we're going to watch another <laughs> Oscar film today anyways. But how That's are you right. doing? How are you How are you feeling post-Oscars? Are you, are you feeling blue from post-Oscars? Are you feeling uh, reinvigorated, ready to take on the world? How are you, how are you doing this week? I'm good. I started to watch a bunch of uh, TV because I feel like I neglected all of my shows. So I got in season four of Mrs. Maisel. I started mm. Bridgerton because everybody's watching Bridgerton season two. Um, true, true. It's it, those two. I, I think Bridgerton just came out, but Mrs. Maisel has been out for a while and I've neglected it. So if you're mm-hmm. into Mrs. Maisel, everybody, it is on prime and it is season four and it's amazing. You get lots of Lenny Bruce, who's one of my favorite people of all time. Oh yeah. man. Uh, it's so good. So, and you know, I didn't realize, but the creator of Mrs. Maisel also was the creator of Gilmore Girls. I had yeah. no idea. No yeah, wonder abs- you love this show so much. <laughs> yeah, this absolutely. Is great. Absolutely. If you if you know anything about me, you know that I love the Gilmore Girls and yeah, Amy Sherman Palladino uh, doing Mrs. Maisel too. So the the writing style is very similar. Uh, Mrs. Maisel obviously is more adult, being you know on the on the streaming Amazon as opposed to as opposed to the Gilmore Girls. But yeah, really great. Um, you and I had talked about it because it's been out for a little while now, but I hadn't started watching it um, until uh, I started just a couple of days before before you watched it and some of the reception to it was kind of hot and cold, but I have to say, I really liked season four. I thought it was great. I thought it was funny. Um, you know, I thought it, I thought it was really compelling and kind of the story of these characters. And I'm excited to see uh, where it goes, if it's going to go, um, you know, for another couple of seasons or if they're going to start to kind of wind this thing down, but I'm really excited to see uh, how these characters go. So yeah. So check yeah. out uh, Miss Maisel. Um, I haven't uh, gotten into season two of Bridgerton yet. That just came out. Yeah. I think last week maybe. So uh, people are watching that. I'm sure we'll get to it here at some point and and see how it goes. But yeah, just relishing in in some post Oscar time, uh, really. But we have one more Oscar film to talk about. Well, at least for this Oscar season, at least that's right. It's a it's a big one. Uh, we both love it. Uh, so why don't we take a take a quick break because the cocktail this week is is going to be a little a little complicated. So we need some time to talk about it with everyone. And uh, yeah, we'll be right back to mix that up and get into it. So this week's cocktail is a really special one. Um, uh, We first laid eyes on this uh, in LA Weekly, and there was this really beautiful article about all of the Oscar cocktails that they were doing at a wonderful little place called Fanny's, which is the fabulous cocktail bar slash restaurant located at the actual Academy Museum, where the Academy Awards are. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Um, so the Academy Museum is really cool. It has a lot of, uh, you know, uh, obviously a lot of uh, film history and, you know, Academy history and stuff like that. And yeah, there's this uh, cocktail bar restaurant, they're called Fanny's and they do a big, um, you know, kind of lead up into the Oscars with all these cocktails and the article in LA Weekly was great because it laid out all the all the cocktails for the 10 uh, best picture nominees. And one of them was for Coda, which uh, you know, ultimately went on to win. So we're, we're looking through this article. We're looking at the pictures. We wanted to do uh, Coda 
and we see this cocktail and it's it's the very first one in the article and it it's blue it is crystal clear it is it is stunning looking and the article was nice enough to give you the ingredients or at least kind of the the basic ingredients for it um which a lot of times articles do and you can kind of you know we've been doing this now for 71 episodes so we can kind of say okay i see how those flavors go together you can kind of you can kind of tinker around with it in your head a little bit and get you somewhere close but but this one michaela we looked at the ingredients and we're like i I don't know how those go together i don't know how it's blue how does this thing work we don't know we're gonna we're gonna have to call in some experts that's right that's right so um we emailed fannies i went ahead and found their email i did a little bit of sleuthing it's not that hard because i've got this amazing rectangle called you know that has google inside it so um, (laughs) but i emailed and said hey it's michaela and brian from the drink the movies we would love to feature this, but we have no idea what the actual recipe is of this. We, we, we really want to do it right. And we got a really wonderful response from this fantastic Amy McCullough, who helped us with the full list of ingredients, uh, as well as a kind of a blurb about how, how to put them together, which is amazing. And then went above and beyond uh, to get us the actual recipe from the real mixologists, Julian and Christina Cox. Um, because they put all of these amazing drinks together um, and they all look amazing. We picked Coda, obviously, because it won Best Picture um, mm-hmm. and it's this really interesting blue color. It's really cool, but they all look gorgeous. Um, we did not get re- the recipes for all of them, but if uh, uh, shout out to Julian and Christina Cox, because these are amazing. This, this was the ultimate Oscar cocktail and uh, it was so pleased and grateful that they shared this amazing recipe with us yeah so absolutely yeah absolutely absolutely so so they sent us over the recipe uh we got it and then it was just a mission of tracking these ingredients down um we got pretty close on on all of these there was one ingredient we couldn't get that's local to la and i think they sell at one store in new york but we're going to talk about that here here in a second and hopefully a little bit more on a future lobby bar so uh to put this thing together you're going to mix up this cocktail and then it is a milk punch. We've talked about milk punches a couple of times in the past on Lobby Bars and a couple of other episodes. But um, let me kind of walk you through these ingredients and uh, these steps here. So you're going to need um, just into like a little a little pitcher or uh, glass or something like that. You're going to put uh, two squirts of a saline tincture, uh, which you're going to make. So you just take some take some water and add some salt to it until you get to about 5%. Um, so I just put some uh, water, like in a, in a cup on my scale until I got to like 50 grams. And then I just added like two and a half grams of salt to get that salinity up. Uh, you might have to heat up that water a little bit to get it to dissolve all the way, but that's how you're going to get that tincture. So you get two squirts of that, um, one teaspoon of, they use mom and pop Seville orange, which is like a, like an aperitif. Think something like an Aperol, um, or, uh, uh, something like that. Uh, now the mom and pop, they only sell in Los Angeles, and I think one store in New York, but you can order it online, uh, which I did. So I have the the tr- like the sample pack of all three of their flavors coming. It hasn't come yet. So so what we used was the Leopold Bros Aperitivo, which is kind of a, a citrus forward um, aperitif. So I th- I think probably pretty similar to um, like I said to an Aperol, but I think that's you know got us pretty close to what we needed to get to for for this. So you're going to use a teaspoon of that. Uh, one teaspoon of Benedictine, 
and then a quarter ounce of Vernelle Cafe Mocha. Uh, we couldn't we couldn't find this particular one at our liquor store, so we went with a different um, coffee aperitif from Italy. Uh, it's called cappuccino. Uh, it seemed like in the descriptions they were pretty close, so you're going to use a quarter ounce of that. A half ounce of Gifford Banana do Brazil, which is a banana liqueur with a little bit of like a cognac backing to it. And one and a half ounces of Fortaleza Tequila Blanco. So you put all of this into a little, a little glass or a little pitcher, and then you add an ounce of milk and a hearty squeeze of lemon. And that milk's going to start to uh, separate, curdle. And it starts to pull out a lot of the color and a lot of the kind of tannicness of those liquors. And you just let that sit for a little while. Um, I put it in the fridge for like, I think like a half an hour just to let it separate. And then you're going to start straining it. So what I do is I strain it through um, like a, like a metal uh, colander or like a metal uh, reusable coffee filter. And then I ran it through again, just like a regular, like paper, uh, coffee filter. So I strained mine twice and that's, that takes a lot of time. It took about six hours for me to strain out the three cocktails that I made for, uh, Michaela, her husband and myself. Um, but once you do that, you get this crystal clear, um, it's kind of yellowish in color, uh, cocktail. And that's, that's what I took over to Michaela's house when we, when we put this thing together. So you have this base cocktail and then to get it to turn blue, you're going to add just a pinch of blue spirulina, which is uh, an algae. Uh, it's all natural. Um, it is really, really blue. <laughs> and it's, blue. it's, it's used, uh, you can use it as like a dietary supplement. I, I think a lot of people do that, but um, it's, it's basically just like a, like a food coloring. So you'll see a lot of that on the kind of on the packaging and said you could, you know, use it in pasta and stuff if you wanted to make it blue and look really cool. So you just use a little pinch of that. It turns this thing blue. You pour it over a big ice cube. Uh, you give a little spritz of some lemon peel over that ice cube, pour it on. It's beautiful. And then you garnish it, Michaela. You, you, you got the garnish going here. I why do. don't you, why don't you talk about that? We found it from the pictures. How, how we, we did, we did. So the picture has this beautiful, uh, blue drink, but on the side of it is a hook with a worm. And so, but not just any worm, it's like a beautiful sugar encrusted gummy worm. So Real simple. If you have children, <laughs> that then you have a fishing you have a fishing pole. You just take uh you know the regular fish hooks that come with the kids fishing uh, tackle. That may or may not have been what I did. And um, you get some gummy worms that are. They have these really cool ones now that are sour, but they are covered in these sugar crystals mm -hmm. and they look really beautiful and they come in a bunch of different colors. So we hooked that up and. Um, put it on the side of the drink and made it look extra fancy. And uh, I am super proud of us uh, trying to make the rendering of this drink. It was, again, so cool to have uh, Fanny's support um, and their, their kind of mixologist team uh, support us in, in our journey in making this cocktail and really mm -hmm. trying to recreate it. It's so beautiful. Um, and it's so blue. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little bit uh, of that stuff goes a long way. So you just want to pinch because you can always make it more blue, but you can't make it less blue. <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So you can add, you can add as much or as little of the blue spirulina as you like, just to to change that color and get it as, uh, you know, clear or as dark and and murky as I guess the uh, the hearts and your water. Now I guess in Coda that that water should have been uh, pretty blue up there in. Uh, 
you know, off the coast of New England. So, um, yeah, this this thing it, it looks stunning. It's it's really weird. So now now we actually we made the thing. Let's let's talk about drinking it. So so the these flavors are very strange. It's it's a lot of flavors. Like I said, when we saw the recipe, we're like, I don't I don't know how those flavors work. What's this going to taste like? This is very strange. And then when you drink it, you know, you're drinking this blue crystal clear drink, and it it has like it has like this agave kind of kind of sweetness and you get a, like like a little hint of banana but there's also like this chocolate coffee thing uh going on and in your in your head you're like this is blue though it shouldn't taste like this this is so strange it's so so bizarre but it's really delicious it's really weird that that it comes together it's so good and as the ice starts to melt ah, it's, it's just it's so complex and interesting it really is um and it tastes different uh, when you when you first make it to when you last when you, you know, your last sip because of the, uh, water, you know, addition and kind of the way that all the flavors kind of play, it is so weird. Cause the first sip I took, I was like, well, I love it, but I don't know how I'm going to be able to describe this drink at all. And the fact mm-hmm. that it is blue, it, you know, throws you off completely. Cause you think that it's going to be like, I mean, it's definitely tequila forward. So you've got the tequila backing for sure. Mm-hmm. But you're like, this is not a margarita. It's not a, you know, a like a Paloma. It's not like any of these tequila drinks that I've ever tasted before. And it does mm-hmm. have just the slightest hint of banana, um, but not too much because I'm not a banana person. I know, Brian, you love banana liqueur. Mm-hmm. I am not. So I was really scared that I, we were going to go to all this trouble and I was going to hate this drink it is amazing and it's totally worth your time to make it. So try, try it. Cause it's, it's so weird, but it's so good. And I was really sad that we only had enough for three, but that's probably good because there's a lot of tequila in this. So yeah, that, yeah, that's right. And I, I mean, as far as batching it together. So when I made the, the milk punch, I made, like I said, I made the three cocktails worth. I just, you know, tripled the amount of ingredients and let it strain out. So you could do, if you're doing a, a party to watch Coda, um, and I think you should definitely do that probably, um, you know, and when you're watching Coda every week, like, you know, uh, Michaela and I plan to do, I uh, definitely have these on hand and, uh, milk punches, I guess last for a long time. So, so that's, that's good to know as well, but this is super interesting. Uh, I don't know if any of our listeners are going to go through the steps of making this. Maybe they're just uh, having it vicariously through us. But if you do take the take the time to throw one of these together, uh, definitely let us know. We want to see pictures of yours. We want to see how blue uh, you made yours. We want to see all that stuff. We want to know what you think about these flavor combinations or if you're uh, familiar with any of these other uh, liqueurs that were kind of new to us. Definitely let us know. And if you are headed out to L.A., make sure you swing by the Academy Museum uh, make a reservation, go have dinner and a cocktail or two at Fanny's. Uh, make sure you tip your servers. Uh, say thank you to Julian and Christina Cox for coming up with this amazing recipe and uh, being kind enough to share it with us. And if you see Amy uh, McCullough while you're out there, you know, uh, just say thank you. Thank you from us at Drink the Movies, Michaela and Brian. Uh, it, it was awesome that she took the time to respond to us and uh, get back to us with all of our uh, crazy questions because who else would, would uh, you know, go through the trouble of, of recreating these these drinks but you and I. So, uh, yeah, right. definitely, definitely a big shout out to, to all of them. But now, Michaela, it is time. We've been, we've been talking about this film off and on uh, through various episodes and lobby bars and how much we love it. So why don't we just actually talk about the movie? So why don't we take a quick break? We will have our Coda cocktail and we'll be right back to chat about the film, Coda. Spoiler warning for Coda. If you've not yet seen this film, you need to press pause right now. And I mean, right now. And you need to go out, 
you need to get Apple TV and you need to watch it because it's amazing. And it's been out for a little while and uh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about all of it. We're going to talk about the end. We're going to, we're going to talk about all the bits. So um, (laughs) we are definitely going to spoil this thing. So uh, it deserves to be spoiled. It is, it is a, it is, it it was the diva queen of the night on Oscar Mm, night. mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, grab, go, go grab this cocktail that took uh, two days to make and um, it's delicious. So let's, let's get into it. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as Michaela said, it was released in 2021 on Apple TV. Um, If you don't have Apple TV, I think you can probably do a a seven-day trial. Uh, Do that. Watch Coda. Watch all of Ted Lasso. Watch Coda again and then come back in. uh, We can talk about this. So this was written and directed by Cyan Hader, um, and it stars Amelia Jones, Marley Matlin, and of course, Troy Kotzer. And this film won three Academy Awards, nominated for three one three, that's a pretty good ratio. 100% of the time, Coda wins every time. Uh, it won for Best Adapted Screenplay uh, for uh, Cyan Hader, who uh, wrote this thing. Uh, supporting Actor for Troy Kotzer. And, of course, the big one, Best Picture, forever to be known as the best film of 2021. Michaela. Yes, as it rightfully should. Um, so many times we we talk about, you know, the winner of Best Picture and if the Academy got it right or not, and what what decisions might have played into people's voting and all of that. And uh, this was one, at least on the outset, I really, I was wrong. I was wrong when we were doing our Oscar You Pick'ems. And uh, I was never more happy to be wrong because I think that they they got it right. The Academy completely got it right this time, so. That's right, that's right. So let's, uh, let's get into this. Uh movie here a little bit um so it starts off and it kind of sets the scene for for where uh this family is at um coda stands for uh, child of deaf adults um and that is you know we're getting that set up right away it starts on this beautiful opening shot it's of like the open uh harbor bay ocean uh kind of thing the water is very dark very gloomy you see this fishing boat on there and then we get out there and we're introduced to to three of the kind of four members of this family. So we've got uh, Ruby uh, and then her brother, Leo, and her dad, Frank. So Amelia Jones is playing Ruby. She is the only one in this family uh, who is able to hear. The rest of her family is deaf and they're on this uh, boat. They're doing some fishing. This is a fishing, very blue collar family um, in Massachusetts. And, you know, it gets gets the scene set right away for, for who this family is, uh, you know, what they're up to. And, you know, kind of the challenges they face as they get back into, into shore. And, you know, you learn, like, one of the great things about this film is it's, it's very realistic in its portrayal of the, of the challenges. Right. Yeah. So it was one of the things that struck me, this opening shot, as you were talking about, right, it's this, it looks like it's all one shot and it kind of goes over this, the boat, the, and I am not, (laughs) I'm going to totally butcher how I'm going to say this, but one end of the boat, which is the business end where they're like uh, reeling in all the fish in the net. Okay. Mm -hmm. The shot kind of goes over that, but you hear some really amazing kind of fifties music and singing. And, and what you realize is she's singing what the, the girl Ruby is singing while they're bringing in, these nets and kind of doing what they do with the fish. So they're stabbing the fish, putting them in these ice coolers and 
and it's like, you know, six o'clock in the morning and it's a beautiful shot in and of itself. And the first time I saw this, I was like, oh, I love this movie, but I didn't know how cinematographically I could was going to appreciate it. So when I rewatched it, that's the first mm-hmm. thing that I noticed is this shot's really beautiful. And so they're putting these, they're, you know, they're putting these fish in. She has to go, Ruby has to go and is basically the entire family's interpreter. Um, they don't, they talk about how they don't really read lips. Um, they uh, very much kind of exist in their family unit, but for the most part, they're very insular, um, which I think is, is, is pretty common for being in a situation such as this, right? They mm-hmm. really rely on Ruby to be their interpreter in all things. So when they go to shore and they have to sell their fish to, you know, this, um, kind of wholesaler who's buying it, he's actively ripping off this family because they can't hear what other people are getting priced out Mm -hmm. for their fish for. Right. So, you know, Ruby gets mad, but her brother, Leo, he's, um, he's like, I'm not stupid. I can figure this out. And she's like, but you can't, you, you're, you're not, you're not figuring it out. You can't, you can't hear what they're saying. They're ripping you off. And so there's kind of this loving, contention between the two of them because they obviously love each other but he is uh, as her brother is always feeling like she's kind of the key and we they rely on her too much mm-hmm. and you can see that from the very beginning because he's like we're able people we can do this we just we just need to adjust and um it, it's it's it starts off right away in this very kind of stark dynamic of what this girl has to do um and that's all before she goes to school and has to like learn math and succeed and do all the things that you know america is telling you to do which is like look pretty and smell nice and right yeah (laughs) exactly she you know she's a she's a high school kid like a senior in high school so she has she has all of those stresses of you know of being a girl in high school but then also uh you know kind of the the pressure and the weight of like you said being the representative of this family more or less and being the one who speaks out and you made a really good point to uh, her brother uh, leo who's played by daniel durant uh you kind of get this it i don't want to say it's simmering like it, it like it's like it's a, a volatile thing but you see kind of the the weight of the burden that he feels, you know, as, as the older brother, and he's not able to do this and they kind of, kind of look past him. And that starts, that kind of pulls into like this thread of this film of, of his feelings too, which I think is really, really well done because it's not always apparent um, how, you know, how much that is, that is playing on kind of on his psyche and his persona. But I think that that's, that's really great. And, yeah, like you said, Ruby has to get to high school. She's been up since 3 a.m. to go out and uh, take care of the family business. Now she has to go to high school. High school kids are jerks, basically, at the end of the day. Um, but we found out on the boat what Ruby really loves to do is to sing. And so when it when it comes time to go to school, they have to pick their extracurricular. Uh, she picks choir, uh, much to the you know chagrin of her uh, best friend, Gertie. But she is there. She's going to choir. Uh, and uh, you get a, you get kind of a, a really great scene of the choir. They're doing kind of their, um, you know, kind of auditions where the choir director is is placing them in their uh, different, you know, kind of vocal ranges and things. And, you know, it, it gets to her. She kind of waits until the last minute to go and then she kind of chokes. Um, and you, you get this, uh, you get this very kind of like gutted feeling that she feels almost like she's betraying her family uh, by singing. Um, and yeah. that comes up really, really important 
Um, you know, as, as we get into, you know, kind of some of the more family dynamics, she's talking to her mom. She's like, you know, why would you, why would you sing? We can't, we can't hear you sing. Why, why would you do that? That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Would, you know, why would you do that? So it, it, it's really kind of, it's really kind of sad and heartbreaking in a way. Um, and you're really pulling for Ruby to be able to, you know, kind of pull out and do the things that she loves, but, but yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a very insular family and, uh, trying to protect them, protect her and doesn't, doesn't know anything else from her life other than, you know, being the, like I said, being the spokesperson for her right. uh, parents. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy for us to look at it now and be like, oh, you just need to break away. But, you know, she's never done anything. There's a really great scene where she's talking to the choir director who went to Berkeley School of Music and he's telling her, you know, you're really good, but you're, you're not dedicated enough. You're not, you're not, you know, you're showing up late to these things and this is not going to work. I'm not going to waste my time if you don't want it badly enough. And she says, um, it, it's a testament to the script writing, I think, because she says, I've never done anything apart from my family. And at first you're like, well, so what? I mean, grow up, you know, whatever. But mm -hmm. the way in which she says it and then the pause that it takes before, you know, he speaks again is really a testament to you know, again, the script writing, I think, because it's one thing to say, I've never done anything without my family, but she needs them just as much as they need her. So, mm -hmm. you know, just as a person who is growing up and trying to find out what they love and realizing that they, that they have a dream of singing or acting or, you know, dancing or whatever it is, you always want that familial support. But on top of all of that, it's like, I want you to support me, but I also need you to support pushing me away and out of this nest that you've built for mm -hmm. me to help you succeed in your business and in your life and, and be able to order at a restaurant. Because there's a scene where her crush is talking about how he remembers seeing her when she was eight years old, ordering lunch or dinner for her entire family because they were the only people, uh, she was the only one that could speak and hear um, mm -hmm. and interpret what they wanted. So it sounded really cool at eight because she was ordering beers, but how else were that was that going to happen? Um, so it really just interesting family dynamics and you know, it's very tough watching this as uh, as a person because you're seeing Ruby do some very normal things for her age, right? She develops a crush. She likes this boy. Um, they are picked, of course, to sing together. And so it's just really, you know, heartfelt time. But then he understands and starts to learn the dynamics of her family. And she finds it totally embarrassing um, her parents are very much in love. They're very physical. So there's there's this funny moment where, you know, they're in the house. He, you know, he's been um, kind of caught in the middle of this family dynamic. And it's kind of funny. They're sitting on the couch and the mother and the father are trying to talk to them about, you know, hey, you like each other. Maybe you're going to start having sex. You know, please be safe and all of this. And it's hilarious, but Ruby is mortified because they're not mm -hmm. able to just talk. They have to sign it. And it's, um, again, outside looking in, it's really funny, but you're just, Ruby's just completely mortified while they're trying to like explain how safe sex works and all of the, the hilarity that ensues there. Um, and they don't understand why she's so um, embarrassed 
because mm-hmm. this is just their life. And they're like, I don't, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. This is how we communicate. It's fine. Yeah. And you kind of get um, that sense, um, like as the audience, you're almost, you almost kind of see it through um, kind of this, this crush that she has. I think his name is Miles um, in the film, because when they, when they talk about this event later, he's like, I, that was hilarious. And she's like, no, that was, that wasn't hilarious. That was, that was completely embarrassing. And she has this, this family dynamic because, you know, growing up, everyone's kind of embarrassed by their parents a little bit, right. To some extent. Um, but it really does a good job of, of laying that out kind of, you know, in the initial parts of the, of the film, like her parents come in to pick her up from, from school. They have like this rap music, just blasting uh, as loud as can be, which, you know, all, all of the kids who, you know, are just, are just seeing this, you know, think it's hilarious. So, you know, of course they're doing it because they can feel the vibrations. Um, but you know, stuff like that is very embarrassing. They go, they go to the, the doctor, um, you know, for some, for some problems with some, uh, jock itch. Uh, that's, that's of course incredibly embarrassing for, um, you know, stuff that happens at the family dinner. She's trying to listen to music and her mom's like, don't listen to music because we can't all listen to music. Um, it, you know, so it's, it's just, um, the film and the, and the script, it does a really good job of laying out kind of that family, that family dynamic in such a way that people, we really can get a sense of what that must be like for, you know, someone like Ruby to live in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's really well put together too, because all of these scenes kind of run together in such a way where it tells the story in these kind of vignettes, but they're done in such a way where towards the end, when you realize everything's kind of coming to a head, she has, Ruby has to decide, um, does she really want to sing or does she want to continue to kind of be this interpreter captain of this family, so to speak. And mm. um, she, I love the conversation when she finally tells her parents, because she's been kind of doing this uh, quietly. She hasn't gone out uh, to both her mom and dad and brother and said, Hey, look, I really love to sing and I'm going to pursue this in my life. She's like, Oh, I've joined the choir and the mom, uh, you know, I love Marley Matlin because she plays this character so well. Um, but you also see kind of this self-serving bit in Marley Matlin's character, because she says, well, if you is, you know, if you, if we were blind, would you want to be an artist and do paintings all day? Is it, it's, it's so funny. You're like, this is your way of rebelling. Mm-hmm. And of course the Ruby's like, this is not about you at all. It says nothing to do with you at all. Um, it's about me. And so there's this great moment where she finally does say, look, I have got an opportunity. I want to audition for Berkeley school of music. I want to go to school. And they were, you know, the parents are understandably shocked Um, Marley Matlin just looks completely devastated during this entire scene. Um, And, you know, you say things just like in a real family, you say things that maybe you're not thinking about or mean because she immediately is like, well, you can't use, we've started this business now. Um, Mm -hmm. They've, they've decided to do this co-op for their fish uh, selling because they were getting completely ripped off by this wholesaler. And so they're trying to do that, but they cannot do that without an interpreter of some kind. The the village around them, none of them are hearing impaired. None of them know how to sign. They don't know how to lip read. So they're like, you have to stay. You, We just did this. We just built this because we thought that you could be part of it. And she's like, all you care about is my interpretation and 
me and and then the father of course comes in and he's like no 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 you're part of this family that's not what your mom means like she really and it's so amazing um done because you know you realize that they have these arguments and things it's just in a very different way and in mm-hmm. this case it's about something that's a little that's a little different right but i um really just love the dynamic of how they communicate and unlike a bunch of other films there's no voiceover so um you're you know, you, you have to read the subtitles, which is great. And back in previous movies and plays, you've had somebody kind of doing a voiceover of some, of some sort. Um, mm-hmm. And in this, in this one, I thought it was a really good choice for them not to do that. Cause that's not the way it works in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty great. And you'd, you'd mentioned that they'd kind of started this uh, co-op thing. One of um, kind of one of my favorite uh, kind of individual scenes of this uh, i mean aside from like the kind of the four scenes that uh you know lead up to the kind of conclusion of this this film there's a scene where they're doing like this town hall thing with all of the fishermen and kind of the people who are running this uh fish wholesale uh kind of group kind of thing and what and one of the things that ruby has been doing throughout the film she uh you know her dad is complaining about about the prices or about you know the the times and all, all of this stuff and you know, he's complaining to Ruby and she's like, well, don't tell me, tell them. Right. You know, she, she's, you know, <laughs> kind of fed up. She doesn't want to be the mouthpiece, you know, forever that, you know, he needs to find his own voice and you kind of get um, him and her brother finding their own voice in this where he, she's, she's still having to interpret his signing, but he does, he stands up kind of for himself, for the other fishermen. Um, and that's really great. He kind of, he finds his own, uh, you know, kind of way to, communicate and and lead this kind of revolution i guess of these uh fishermen and they go off to start this this own their own you know fishermen's co-op kind of thing and then yeah that's just another burden on on ruby then because you know her family's like well we just started this thing you can't leave now you can't go to college now um but she really wants to so she eventually does kind of kind of stand up and she skips this thing and that's when the coast guard comes in it it costs them this big huge fine they're going to have to hire someone on and that that probably for me is kind of my favorite point in the film because that's really when you kind of see um, her brother kind of expose his feelings for it, which has just been kind of simmering under this the whole time. Um, you know, they're kind of talking at dinner um, and, you know, he calls her Queen Ruby, kind of storms off and she goes and, and finds him and he's like, you should go to college. Why are you staying here? Why are you letting them keep you here? Go do your thing. You know, you're you're brilliant and amazing. Go do this. I'm the older brother. I'm the one who should have these burdens on me. And I think that that is really beautiful and really great. Um, and we talked about the Oscars last week and we talked about snubs and not snubs and Daniel Durant, I think was snubbed. I think if you have, um, from power of the dog, uh, what's his name? Um, I totally love him. Uh, Jesse Plemons, one of my favorites of all time, but what he did in Power of the Dog, I don't think was nearly as impactful or as passionate or as great as what Daniel Durant was. So if you're going to have a dual nomination from the same film, uh, I think he was snubbed because because he's incredible in this role. And you and you really feel um, kind of the like I said, the the burden of responsibility he feels like he should have. And, you know, it's it's misplaced on Ruby. Maybe uh, he, he's just great. And I, I love kind of that lead up to that that part of the film as we get into the kind of final act here. Yes, no, I agree. I think he was brilliant and I love their dynamic 
because he he I love that scene. He they're first of all, it's beautifully shot because they're out on the this ocean uh, area where it's yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like, like this inlet kind of thing. Yeah, because and it's it's, it's a low tide. Yeah, yeah, and so the rocks are there, and he's just hanging out, being on his own. And he looks at her, and he's like, "You're really good at you know." Gertie is someone that's her best friend, but he's also kind of dating. And he says, "Gertie says you're amazing. Like she can hear you." And they had just gone to see her perform in this concert, and they literally couldn't even feel the vibrations because they were so far away. So they're talking about, you know, the parents are like, what do you want to have for dinner tonight? What are you going to do? Um, they're not uh, entranced by what's happening at all um, because they literally can't hear it, but they see the reaction of everyone else. And when Ruby sings, she's got this powerhouse voice that is all sweet and yet rich. And it's just amazing. Um, so he's like, you're really good. You don't need to stay here and you should go and I will figure it out, which I thought was really sweet and very big brother-ish for her, protective of her, but also protective of his parents. Again, it's you'd see this in any other family. It's just presented in a very different way because these are fully rich characters mm-hmm. versus writing this as if these are just deaf people. And I thought that that was a beautiful distinction um, that they make throughout this entire script and the way this, this whole show is presented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you had mentioned the, the kind of concert that they go to, and that's really kind of what, what starts off kind of this, this final act, right. They've kind of, they've more or less accepted the fact that she's, that she's going to be seeing, but you have um, kind of this introductory scene uh, where her mom, uh, Jackie, uh, played by Marley Matlin comes in and, uh, you know, gives her this dress. She said, I bought you this dress for, um, your recital. Um, and they go on to have this really kind of sweet mother daughter moment, um, where they're talking and, um, Ruby, you know, is asking her, her mom, you know, are you, are you sad that I'm not deaf? And, and her mom, you know, very, very vulnerably and very truthfully says, yeah, I was when you were, when you were born and we found out you could hear, you know, I, I was devastated because I didn't think that we would ever have, you know, anything in common. I didn't think I could be a good mother to you. Um, it, it's really sweet. It's really uh, heartfelt. It's really emotional. And then, yeah, they go off to go to this concert. And like you said, they can't hear it. Um, the The sound design is brilliant when it finally kind of pulls pulls down. Like you said, they're having kind of these other conversations because they can't hear what's going on. But, um, you know, eventually they start looking around and and they're noticing that, that people are smiling. And um, her dad, Troy Kotzer, points out, you know, the, I think it's the choir director's wife is is literally like in tears from it and stuff. And they're looking at this. And I think it's at that point, it's kind of dawning on them that maybe she is special. Maybe they, you know, really shouldn't hold her back. They should, you know, release her into the world and, uh, you know, let her make a run of this thing. And then you have probably the most beautiful scene um, and this whole thing after when they get back and, and her dad, Troy Kotzer, and he's like, I, I just need a, a minute. And she kind of hangs back and they go and sit on the, uh, the bed of the truck and they have their moment there, uh, Michaela. So oh, I'll see if, yeah. I'll see if, you, I'll see if you can get through, if you can get through this one here. <laughs> if I can get through it without crying. So um, you, you have, vib- you can feel by vibrations, right? That's how sound is created. And so it's a, such a beautiful scene because um Frank, played by Troy Kotzer, is saying, hey, I just need some air. And he's out on the bed of his truck and he's looking up at the stars and he's talking about how the stars look different, um, you know, 
on land versus out in the ocean. And, you know, they've just been told that they're going to need to hire an interpreter and um, they've gotten into some trouble because they couldn't hear, you know, the, the Coast Guard give them a radio signal or, you know, anything. So when the Coast Guard finally comes to them on the boat and boards their ship, they're like, what is going on? And they're both, <laughs> but the father and son are looking like, what are you guys doing here? And it, it just becomes this whole big thing because they don't have, they didn't have an interpreter that day. So he's, you know, you think that this conversation is going to be one of those where Frank says, you know, I really, I don't know what we're going to do if we can't get back out on the water but instead he turns to his daughter ruby who's there and says hey will you sing for me and he kind of puts his hands on her vocal box so that he can feel the vibrations because he can't hear her and it's really beautiful because she sings this whole song and the song that she's singing is about um how you need someone to survive and you're you're all I need is you and it's like a romantic song but the more you listen to it um because you have to pay you have it's a very closed in kind of shot um and so the more you listen to the words and her voice as well as like him pressing her vocal box and her shoulders and all you know trying to sense sense this experience that is happening you realize that it's also about family and how you need them to you know you just need your family around you and they've really needed her for the longest time and she's really needed them but in a different way and it's absolutely um the it's so beautiful it's and so you think that that's going to be the most impactful part of this movie and and then it just gets worse and and by worse i mean better because then there's you know three scenes after that that are all just (laughs) heavy hitters and oh that's so good that's right that's right so at this point uh ruby has come to terms that she's not going to be going um to to school to pursue her passions at least right now she's going to stay back and uh help her family uh get this business off the ground you know at least for the foreseeable future um but on the flip side of that i think her uh, largely led by her, um, her father here um has decided that no in fact she is going to go to her audition so uh, you kind of get in the next scene uh she's laying in bed and her um, I think it's, I think it's her mom. I don't remember for sure, but, uh, one of her parents comes in and wakes her up, tells her, tells her to get up. And she's like, what, what's, what's going on? And, and you'll, you'll see them kind of leaving and, and they tell her, you know, if we're kicking you out of the house, we're all going. So of course her, uh, her parents and her brother all go, they drive down into Boston to do, uh, the, um, her audition, uh, to get into school there. Um, and you know, uh, of course it's, it's a closed audition. So, so the parents can't, uh, go in and watch, but you know, they, they make their way up to the, up to the balcony. I feel like the, uh, the Rossies are, are pretty slippery when it comes to, uh, things like this. So they get up to the balcony and, and she goes in and she, and she starts singing. Uh, it's really sweet. She kind of, she's kind of choking on her, on her words a little bit. She's not really leaning into it. Uh, her choir director, uh, you know, flubs some notes and he's like, Oh, sorry, you know, can we, can we start over? And she starts singing again. Uh, you see her parents come in and, you know, she's, she's singing, uh, both sides now by Joni Mitchell is the song that she's performing. She sees her parents up there and she starts signing it. Um, uh, which is, which is beautiful. And uh, it's hard, it's hard to watch through all the tears that are streaming down your face as she's doing, doing this. And uh, yeah, she, she does it. And then you get a really beautiful, um, kind of montage, like as she's singing it, 
of her, um, you know, helping, uh, you know, it's kind of the new person that they've hired to help on the boat, you know, kind of, you know, giving them the, the run of that, you know, waiting for her, uh, you know, acceptance uh, email uh, to come through all of this stuff, all of, all of this exciting stuff as she's uh, finishing out this song. And then um, of course the, the film ends then with her, with her, you know, leave, leaving the family going off to pursue yeah. her passions. And, you know, she gets, she gets out of the, out of Gertie's car one last time to uh, go and, and give them a farewell hug. But uh, it's, it's real, it's real beautiful. I will say, I will say it's, it's, it's a real beautiful coming of age and uh, family story we have here in Coda. Yeah, for sure. It really is. Um, they could not have picked a better song. I think, I mean, I, I'm <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know, I love Joni Mitchell with every fiber of my being. And um, so as they talk about how they're gonna pick that as the song for her to do it for her uh, classical audition. And at first I was confused because I didn't think that was classical, but I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a music. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I didn't go to Berkeley School of Music, so I don't know uh, what that means, but uh, it's so beautiful. And if you think, so if you don't know the song, it's really looking at things in two different, you know, two different sides. So there's two different ways to think about clouds. There's two different ways to think about love. And there's two different ways to think about life. And I do love that the first two kind of stanzas are in the theater where she's looking up at her family and she starts mm. signing so that they can enjoy what's being done. Um, you know, uh, her voice is beautiful. It's, you know, obvious that the judges or the, you know, the people that are, that are there kind of critiquing her audition are impressed. And mm -hmm. then you're right, that last stanza, you know, you can see not only her teaching this other person, but, you know, her brother in, and her mother mm -hmm. are working with this co-op that they've built and they're teaching um, this, these other community members, some signs right. so mm -hmm. that they can, you know, communicate with these people. And, you know, it's interesting because at the very beginning they're they feel like it's very much us and them and right. they're not, they're like, Hey, you know, these, they're hearing folks, they don't understand who we are, but they also didn't. Uh, one of the things that Ruby points out is that they never gave any of these folks a chance to even enter their world in, in, a, in a way to communicate either. Now there's a whole bunch of controversy around who, who should be the first to make that step and all of that. But I did think it was really beautiful that they, they were, you, you see this dialogue that's starting to occur through sign language. Um, so they're, they're gonna stand up on their own on their own and not rely on an interpreter every single time they need one um, by engaging these members of the community co-op together. And I thought that that was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, so she gets in, uh, spoiler, <laughs> she gets into the school of music and then her family um, sees her off as she leaves. And it's really beautiful and it's very, well, it's so good. <laughs> yeah it's it, it's hard it, it's hard to describe how 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 why it's so wonderful but it's yeah that's that's right that's right so um yeah so that that is uh coda so this film i i think it it kind of had more or less like it's big like international debut at, at sundance and then apple picked it up to to show it so i watched this back when it 
uh, kind of when it first came to Apple. Um, it wasn't like a, a day one kind of thing, but I, I'd heard about it and I'd heard that people uh, were really high on it. So I watched it, watched it pretty early and I had to, you know, tell Michaela, you know, over the course of the next uh, month or two that she needed to watch it. And then she, and then she finally did. We both fell absolutely in love with it. Um, uh, like, like Michaela mentioned, she didn't pick it for her Oscar win. She, she went with her head uh, and not with her, not with her heart um, uh, on this occasion, but yeah, this was definitely both of our, both of our uh, picks to win the Oscars. So we were very happy to, to see that it did. And um, we hope that everyone gets a chance to watch it. And we hope that, you know, if you're listening to it, uh, you get a chance to watch it too. Uh, Cyan Hater, who wrote this, um, probably before this, most notably was like the writer for Orange is the New Black. She'd done a little bit of television directing. She did write and direct a movie uh, called uh, Tallulah, which was a Netflix film uh, back uh, like, like five, six years ago. Um, but this was kind of her I guess breakout and uh what a way to what a way to come out into the uh into the film world uh you know with this Sundance gem and then obviously the uh best picture winning film so yeah uh kudos kudos to to you there on that and like I said I, this the story is really um really kind of hinges on on the writing and the way they're able to to kind of tell this story we talked a little bit about the way that it that looked kind of with that opening opening shot. And I think that's what makes like the stuff with the fishing so staggering looking is because the rest of the film is pretty much like in these static shots. So you really don't get like this big, like cinema to graphically scoped things um, except for when they're out on the water, uh, which, which looks really brilliant. And I don't know how, how they did it because it's literally, it's, you know, just the three of them on this boat. Um, so, and it doesn't, it doesn't look like it's on some sort of like water set. Like it looks like it's actually out um, in the sea. So I, it looks fantastic and how they can pull it off, um, you know, for what I'm assuming to be kind of a lower budget sort of thing that they put together uh, is really uh, pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. It is the set direction in this is really amazing. Um, their house looks like, this beautiful like tiny cottage thing that's looks mm-hmm. like it's very close to the water and as pretty as it is it's it's kind of run down but they they have these really cool like these ceilings are all weird <laughs> because of the because it's like an a-frame house and so mm-hmm. I don't know how they made that work um technically because there's I, they, I just don't know how they did that because it, it looks, it doesn't, I don't think this was made on a soundstage. I think this was actually filmed uh, on location in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So uh, really cool there. And then there's this also, there are these scenes where when Ruby wants to go and kind of center herself and find herself, she goes to this amazing like place that is surrounded by cliffs, but there's water in like a lake. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that exists. Um, I don't know how there was no one else there because it's completely deserted, but it's beautiful. And those shots are also really beautiful and spanning, right? Which is mm-hmm. such a drastic contrast from like the school shots and the, you know, all the other kind of quote unquote normal stuff. That's not, you know, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary there that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't see, but mm-hmm. really just beautiful, just be, this is a beautiful film. And so I think people, any, I, t- I talked to someone last week that was disappointed that Coda won um, because of that. And they said, you know, it's not big, like power of the dog, power of the dog big yeah. shots. And it's not, it, you know, it, it's telling a story that's really not all 
that, you know, it's a coming of age story and it's breaking away from your parents and how different is that really? It's not that it's not that original. Um, it just takes a different take on it. And while I understand that sentiment, I also think that you're not looking, you're not looking and you're not, you're not sensing Coda enough um, mm-hmm. because there's so much more to this than, than that. And so it does tick all of the boxes, maybe not in the same way because we don't have a mountain range that's not in Montana uh, to talk about, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's still, uh, it's definitely deserving and I'm so glad that it won. Yeah, and absolutely. I'm more shocked that I was able to talk about this without crying like a little baby because that's, <laughs> it's that's so emotional. Act- <laughs> that, that is an actual fact. So uh, anyone who uh, knows Michaela at all, yeah, knows how, know how, knows how trying uh this was for sure so um yeah that that is coda it's it's beautiful it's brilliant and uh we're so happy to have it in our lives and we hope that everyone's had a chance to watch it and we hope you've liked uh going back through it a little bit with us because it was definitely it was definitely something that i needed to go back and and rewatch. and so i'm glad we decided to cover this as our one last uh kind of oscar uh grab here for uh for this year so let us know at home if you watched uh, Coda, if you watched it back when it came out, or if you watched it as we got closer to Oscars and that buzz was starting to pick up for it, uh, let us know all that. Let us know if you decide to make one of these Coda cocktails. We want to see it. We want to see pictures of yours because it's beautiful. Um, let us know if you have any other good uh, milk punch recipes because that's a really fun technique and I want to uh, definitely get into that a little bit more. And definitely let us know if you've ever been to the Academy Museum and had a meal at Fanny's because we want to know that. We want to know what you ate. We want to know what you drank. We want to know if Julian and Christina Cox mixed you something special or if you had something awesome. Let us know all that and thank thank you again to them and to Amy McCullough for helping us get the information for the cocktail. Uh, We definitely really appreciate that. And we can't wait to get out to LA ourselves and get to the Academy Museum and check it out and uh, take like 10,000 pictures with all of our favorite uh, movie things. So uh, definitely do that. So send us all your pictures, uh, feedback, comments, uh, praise of Coda. Uh, We want to get all that stuff. So find us on Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. If you want to see pictures of our Coda cocktail, uh, the written recipe, uh, because I was probably rambly when I was going through it. Uh, check that out on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. And we would really appreciate it if you uh, are liking the podcast. Uh, you know, a five-star review goes a long way to getting Drink the Movies out there. So, Michaela, where should they be uh, getting subscribed and doing all that stuff? You can do all of that uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere Anchor podcasts are distributed. We're on Stitcher now. Um, please uh, subscribe if you like and what you're hearing. Um, we really love our two drops a week. You get a, a lobby bar drop on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We do our deep dives with a deeper, deeper cocktails, more <laughs> definitely more complicated stuff, but, but even more fun. There's more fun. So that's right. Leave us a five-star review if you want. We'd really appreciate it. Helps us get the drink, the movies out there. We're loving this community and it is exploding. I, we, we've just had like the best week that we've ever had in the history of drink, the movies. Um, So we're really grateful for all of you. If you're loving what you're hearing, tell your friends. Yeah, that's right. And we have, um, we have some stickers now. So if you uh, want a sticker or two, just reach out to us on any of those uh, social media places and we'll uh, probably drop some in the mail because we're just that nice. But for now, Michaela, you made it through 
um, we're going to, we're going to end this episode right now. You can go and have a cry thinking about how, how emotional Coda was, how beautiful it was. And we're going to have to have another one of these, uh, Coda cocktails because they're just that beautiful and tasty. So why don't we go do that? We will, we'll decompress for a minute and we'll be back to talk about a movie next time on drink, drink the, the movies. movies, best picture, best picture. <laughs>